electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. John, thank you very much. And right now on Fast, bruised and battered from the regionals to the big money center banks, it has been a most painful day. The biggest loser, Silicon Valley Bank. More than cut in half, we will go inside this crushing day for the sector. Plus, the president's budget set to take a bite out of your investments. The massive proposed hike in capital gains taxes for high-income individuals. Then, Bob Iger's uh, L.A. fireside chat. From cost cuts to Hulu to ESPN and succession. Not the show, his succession. The latest on the state of business at the Magic Kingdom. And later, an electric rebound for a once mighty Dow component. The reason GE, yes, GE, is one of this year's big winners. In from Melissa Lee, I'm Tyler Matheson, and welcome everybody to Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, he's really on the desk. He's here with me, the two and lonely guys. Julie Beal, Jeff Mills, and Guy Adami, welcome everyone. Thanks for having me to join you tonight as well, letting me join you. And we start with that big breakdown, folks, in the banks. The KBW Regional Bank Index down 8% today falling to its lowest level since uh, January of 2021. California-based SVB Financial leading the losses off more than 60%, lowest level in nearly seven years, losing $161 a share. The stock, the worst performer in the S&P 500, by a factor of four. The losses come after the company said it was looking to raise capital to help offset losses from recent bond sales. On the rise in interest rates over the past year has depleted the value of bonds, of course, sparking concerns over just how much the company's securities holdings are actually worth. And maybe even more concerning, it wasn't just the smaller lenders that got hit hard today. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, all seeing outsized losses today of five and a half to six and a half percent or so, adding to what's already been a rough month for these stocks. All of this taking a toll on the broader market as well. The major averages all closing lower near their lows of the day. The S&P now just two percent away from giving up all of its gains for the year so far. So let's start with you, Guy Adami. Are Silicon Valley banks' problems and Silicon Valley's problems the sign of deeper issues for the market? You lead it. Well, first, first of all, I know Tim said this to you before the show, but welcome. And CNBC royalty is in the house, and I'm sure. A lot of people were paraded on the network today talking about how it's not systemic, it's Silicon Valley specific. And to a certain extent, that is true. With that said, though, Silicon Valley basically encapsulates all the things that are going on out there. A little bit of venture capital, a little bit of assets, a little bit of um, duration risk, and a little bit of just maybe poor risk management and not understanding what's really going on. So. Is that specific to them? Absolutely not. I'm sure there are bank risk managers out there scouring uh, their balance sheet trying to figure out what's going on. But in my opinion, I mean, this is just, I don't want to say tip of the iceberg, but there's when there's one, there's many more. So 
For everybody that thought that banks were going to lead us out of that, uh, think again. Julie, I saw you nodding there to what uh, Guy was saying. Carry on. It's a, it's a safe thing to do, generally speaking. But um, no, I, I agree with Guy. You know, I think for us, banks are always going to be a hard place to invest in. It's really hard to differentiate. But again, exactly as Guy was saying, Guy was saying you have a duration mismatch, right? You're lending money on the long term and you're borrowing on the short term. Or in this case, your depositors can be running for the doors and suddenly you have to be selling assets. So that's not a position I really want to be in. And I don't even think these banks were particularly cheap to begin with. So I think the sell-off makes a lot of sense to me because I agree it's very possible that there's going to be more. It's not technically even the only one, right? We had Silvergate. We've had others that have had problems before, too. Tim, if the banks can't hold on, can the market hold on? Well, I think we've at times punished the banks before we've even punished the market. And I think we, we know that there's a big difference between the money center banks and what's going on with some of these regional banks. I'll point out, by the way, see the KRE down over 8%. I mean, uh, if, if you look at Silicon Valley Bank, it's the largest weighting in it, and you do that down 60%, you can do that math. I mean, it's that there's at about 2%, there's 120 bips right there of the sell-off. So what's happening to the market right now, though, Tyler, is we've gotten to a place where we were looking at the market. We were saying we've got breadth. We're seeing transports. We're seeing mm -hmm. industrials. We're seeing banks. Um, and, and we aren't seeing credit explode. And so you bring it back. Everything Guy and Julie both said is this is idiosyncratic to these, these couple lenders in Silicon Valley Bank. Look, um, their venture-backed business has, has been uh, contrasting dramatically. They're losing deposits. Um, I, I would argue that this, is a, this was a, a levered you know, mortgage-backed security holding bank in terms of their balance sheet and what they did. And I think some of that's unique to them. Um, I do think that a lot of banks, because of what the Fed has done before they started raising rates, pushed them out the yield curve, pushed them out into asset-backed securities and things that the mark-to-market on these things will not be uh, pretty. And, and in fact, that's what SVB had to do last night. They mark-to-market. So um, some of this is macro. Some of this is, is idiosyncratic to banks that I think the risk management was terrible. Jeff, I am no expert on bank finance, but whenever you see banks going out and raising capital in the market, it's generally not a good sign. No, it's not. But I think you do have to differentiate between what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank and what's going on with not only the, the six largest banks, but the other, you know, 20 some odd largest banks in the country, too. I mean, their deposit bases are very different. Uh, their capital positions are very different. So I've been no cheerleader of the banks at all for the past 12 months. But this does feel like a one day sort of overreaction to what's going on. But, you know, all that being said, and back to Guy's point, I think he did hit the nail right on the head in terms of this generally being a sign of the macro times and, and what's going on here. So that's why I'm still really not in favor of being overweight to banks in any way, shape or form, sort of outside of what we're talking about here with these potential idiosyncratic risks. I mean, I think the economy gets worse before it gets better. We saw jobless claims today, so maybe some cracks in the labor market. Obviously, we've talked about the yield curve at nauseum, not necessarily a good sign. And we've already seen some of these cracks. If you go back a couple of weeks, some high profile commercial real estate defaults. Um, so there are things going on here. You want to be careful, sort of down the cap spectrum in banks. I think their commercial real estate exposure is about five times as large as some of the bigger banks. So you take that all together, and I just feel like banks are not a good place to be for relative outperformance as you move through the rest of this year. This is in no way, shape, or form, at least in my opinion, some sort of crisis situation. Banks are generally in fundamentally good shape, especially the larger banks. Uh, they're generally cheap. 
But again, not a place for outperformance in, in this macro environment. Jeff, put a let's come back to this on that uh, jobs report uh, matter that you mentioned, because the big number comes out, of course, tomorrow, and that will be uh, a real telltale. It has been, Guy, I think, uh, I don't mean to use a fancy word, but there's been a lot of torpor in the market uh, over the past Whoa. couple of weeks, right? Torpor. Nice. Go nice. look that one up, everybody. Good stuff. I don't it's know a good one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, out of Virginia. Yeah. Torpor. <laughs> Uh, and, and today, I really felt a heaviness there as I went on and did the 2 o'clock program. Things started to just get heavy and heavy and heavier. And, and then in the after hours, you look at some of the companies that reported earnings, and they weren't, they weren't very bad. But every, and in some cases, they were pretty good. They were beats. But the stocks were doing this. They were rolling over. What's that a sign of? Yeah, well, it's important for me to know the definition of the word before I attempt to answer your question, but I'll guess in my head and then come back with it this way. So, you know, we've talked about this for a long time, Tyler. The panic we've seen in the market over the last 18 or so months has typically been to the upside. We've had a few days where the selling on the downside has felt like panic. Clearly today felt like, and certainly some individual names, a bit of panic, which is painful, but I would submit is probably a good thing as well, because that typically uh, brings us towards more of a bottoming formation than anything else. Flip side of that coin, obviously, though, you know, we traded down to the 200-day moving average in the S&P last week. Uh, it bounced, and it actually got Mike Wilson tactically bullish in the very short term, thinking that that hold could get us up to 4150 or so. Well, we got close, but now we've closed below. So the question we really off to ask ourselves now is, devaluation starting to matter again, and is this sort of a canary in the possible coal mine in terms of some of the, again, I don't want to use systemic risk, but some of the tag-on effects and the knockoff effects we're going to see. So when bad news is bad news, that's going to be a problem. And you mentioned it. The jobs number tomorrow is going to be a huge tell. So the, the, the VIX had an 18% move higher today. We haven't seen this type of a move up in the VIX since early December, but more likely lack back to September. So, Tyler, when you talk about this impending uh, emotion and feeling and momentum into the day, it really was. Today was the kind of a day that at least the market was re reminded of what tail risks could be out there um, at a time when, in fact, uh, as guys pointed out, I mean, you've had a lot of things that at least tactically you've been able to do with this market to this point. And frankly, earnings haven't fallen apart. But uh, I think that was the key to today. And, and money center banks are fine, um, at least in terms of balance sheets. But the point I would just make about banks, and I look forward to uh, the next conversation, because their mark to market of securities portfolios in a world where there's been such devastation in rates. Remember, this Fed didn't go um, from, you know, it's not the biggest move that the Fed's ever made in terms of absolute yields, but it is from zero. Um, and it is yeah. close to one of the biggest moves ever in history. All right, let's add a little spice to the stew with uh, Gerard Cassidy, head of U.S. Bank Equity Strategy and large cap bank analyst at RBC Capital Markets. Gerard, welcome. Uh, what do you make of, of today, uh, specifically in the banking sector, uh, the, the Silicon Valley Bank and other things? How, concern, how concerning is all of this to you? Uh, thank you for having me on the program, Tyler. And always concerned when you see stocks move so dramatically like you saw today. But as some of your colleagues have pointed out, this is a unique situation with a few banks. When you think about Silicon Valley in particular, you have to remember in 2019, before the pandemic, the company had about $71 billion in assets. As of the end of 22, it had $211 billion. Its securities portfolio went from $29 billion to $128 billion. 
they they were the sweet spot for what we saw in the equity markets during the pandemic. As you all recall, the IPO market in 2021 was off the re off the charts. So this company, unfortunately, had so much money to put to use. They put it into bonds. As you guys talked about, the yields went the other way. And their funding, this is the critical part. And this is where I'm glad some of your panelists have talked about this. This bank is different because they don't have low-cost consumer funding like most of our banks do. So when you look at the Bank America or you look at a regional bank like M&T or Fifth Third, these companies have 40 to 50 to 60 percent of funding from small consumer deposits, less than $250,000. At Silicon Valley, that number was two and a half percent. So they have more interest sensitive money that needs to have rates um, paid higher to keep that money. And that's tough when the bond market's doing what it's doing. So there, so, so to put a point on it, compared with those, the banks you just mentioned, their source of funds is what? Very good question, Tyler. The source of funds for the traditional bank is consumer deposits. And think right. about how long it takes to build consumer deposits. It takes decades. And when you think about our checking accounts that we have at our banks, we're not going to leave our banks with our checking accounts. And especially for the deposits that are less than $250,000, those think of mom and pop, grandma and grandpa deposits with $5,000 in them. Those are gold in this kind of rate environment. And Tyler, it's been 15 years since we had to look at the right side of the balance sheet at deposit mix and the banks with the good deposit mix in Silicon Valley didn't have that. Uh, those banks are okay. And this sell-off was unfortunate. It was indiscriminate. So, so Gerard, it, it, but it, it went across the money center banks, too. So why, why did this happen? And especially the regional banks, even though, again, I pointed out just the percentage weighting of what SVB would do to that entire index if it sold off 60 percent. But it, are, are we imputing uh, a bad securities portfolio on a lot of these regionals? But how about the biggest banks with the best balance sheets in the world? Yep. No, you're right. And I think what the market is worried about is, you know, as you guys talked about with the employment numbers coming tomorrow, we have to make sure the Federal Reserve gets this inflation under control. And if we're sitting here in six months and inflation is still at five, six percent, we're not going to see a terminal rate of five, five and a half percent. Therefore, if rates go up much higher, then these bond problems become more of a problem for everybody. But we have to remember that the banks are not forced to sell these bonds. Most of these are governments and agency bonds, and they are not credit risk, but you need the funding, that right side of the balance sheet, to ride it out, and the money centers can. Two legends in, in one night, Tyler Matherson and Gerard Cassidy. So I want to take you down memory lane, Gerard, if you allow me to. September 17th, 2019, we don't talk about it. We probably don't need not talk about it, but the overnight repo market blew up, and I'm choosing that word. And there's some signs out there that maybe the reverse repo market. My question to you is, that to me was the beginning of what we saw subsequently in 2020. Any concerns in the repo market and what it might be telling us? Guy, not yet. And thank you for your, your compliments. Um, I would say not yet. Certainly, we're watching it carefully. You know how large the reverse repo market has, has become with the Federal Reserve. Uh, doing what it's doing by paying higher rates of deposit there. But so far, it seems to be pretty much under control compared to what you said in 2019. Now, Guy, I'll go back a little further. If you go back to 1980, this is the problem that the savings banks had in New York City is exactly what you saw today with Silicon Valley. Who's got a comment or an idea here? Jeff, uh, jump in. 
Yeah, so you know, my my comment would be that I, I totally agree with what Gerard is saying relative to the dynamics of all of this. I mean, I, I think it's more of a macroeconomic issue more broadly for the banks, you know, versus something here that's going to translate to some problem you know, across all of them. And I do think that today was a little bit of an overreaction. I guess what I would want to know from Gerard is, you know, thinking about the macro economy going forward, how do you think that then translate into bank performance more broadly outside of what we're talking about today? Broad credit exposure, things of that nature. Jeff, you put, Jeff, you put your thumb right on it. it. It really, this is today, it was unfortunate, but it, we'll get through this in my opinion. And, and it's really all about credit. Every time we've gone through a credit cycle, if it turns out to be really bad, that's when the banks suffered the most. We all remember 08, 09, 1990 was another tough one. 01, not as much. But here, here, this is the key part about this inflation number, because if the Fed has to continue to raise the Fed funds rate to seven, seven and a half, maybe 8%, because they cannot get inflation under control, we will go into a hard landing. That means much bigger credit problems. So to your point, Jeff, that is the macro call. We're not there. We're not suggesting that. We, we think they're going to get to the terminal rate at five. We'll get somewhat of a soft recession. The other thing, too, is that since the financial crisis, the banks have to go through this stress test every year, which is extremely difficult. So our banks, and I think you guys touched on it, they're better capitalized, they have more liquidity, and credit is very strong. And so when it comes, they'll be able to weather the storm. But that is that is what we're watching right now. We're not ready to jump off the ship on the banks to say get out of them because of credit. That's too early. But that is what we are watching. Gerard, thank you so much for being with us. Always a delight. And your fire looks so warming and lovely behind you. <laughs> thank you. I want to be there with a nice couvoisse <laughs> or something, yeah, right? Just yeah. crack on away. Yeah, exactly. All right, th Gerard, again, thank you very much. All right, coming up, folks, we've got some uh, earnings alerts for you. Shares of Oracle and Ulta uh, on the move after reporting uh, profits. Uh, we will bring you the details from these quarters next, plus a GE gem. Shares surging to five-year highs today. The guidance out of the company's investor day ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money will be back in two. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. I was just saying hello to people behind me there, and they Very all ran away. They ran back. away. I'm, I'm a friendly guy. Always Come on. Back. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. we got an earnings alert for you on Oracle. The shares dropping in after hours. Earnings beat. Revenue's just a little bit shy of expectations. Frank Holland is on the ball and into that quarter. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Tally. You know, shares are down, but they're actually a little higher than they were 
than uh, just immediately following the call. But um, Oracle overall reporting a solid quarter. Just listening on the call, CEO Safra Katz talking about the company's AI capabilities. Um, but I do want to get to the stock falling. Um, missed on the revenue, as you mentioned. Came after analysts had, had expectations for this quarter, thinking Oracle's on-premise business might get a boost from a slowdown and the transition to cloud, and that its cloud business might get a boost from its AI capabilities. Uh, Oracle's been seen as a leader in AI cloud infrastructure. On the call, CEO Safra Katz saying this. Oracle AI provides more relevant sales leads. Oracle AI increases infrastructure performance and security with no human intervention. And customers using OCI get AI as a service. Oh, it looks like we might, we may have lost uh, Frank there uh, momentarily. Tim, do you want to jump in here, and then I want to go to Jeff. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say this on Oracle. I, I, this this sell-off to me comes from a stock that's one of the few that's near its 52-week highs. I mean, this thing's been a monster. And if you look at the, you know, greater than 70% of the revenue is recurring revenue. The stickiness of this business model, the valuation, uh, I, I, I think you're buying this weakness. Uh, how about you, Jeff? Yeah, I'm with Tim here, and I think the cloud is the upside for this stock. And if you look at these numbers compared to Microsoft AWS, they actually look pretty good. So I talked to our analyst today who covers the name, and he said that it's the dark horse of the cloud race. And he pointed to the seven-year contract with Uber. He pointed to the piece of the $9 billion Pentagon contract. So I think all of those things are very important. And this is a company that's also heavily exposed to large enterprises. So I think the churn, even in a slowdown in the economy, is probably a lot lower than, say, a Salesforce, for example, which is a stock uh, that we also own. But uh, as Tim said, this is a stock that had a pretty good run. It's not screamingly cheap here. I look to 90 as maybe a little bit of resistance, but I'd be buying this weakness as well. How about you, Guy? Is this a quiet giant we ought not ignore? Yeah, it is. And Tim mentioned it, Jeff, as well. I mean, stock went from $61 to $89. It had trouble there for a few weeks. We've sold off a little bit. Valuation is, I would say, reasonable. I think the sell-off may be... You know, 15.6% cloud growth maybe disappointed people, but is it the quiet giant? Yeah, and if you want to play a game, uh, Tyler, which we do, would you rather, and I'll self-would you rather, which is sure, typically is taboo, but in the, in the game of Salesforce.com <laughs> versus Oracle, at these levels, I would rather Oracle. All right, very interesting. Let's move from Oracle to Ulta Beauty, uh, the company beating on the top and bottom lines, but still dropping after hours. Seema Modi standing by with more. Hey, Seema. Hey, Tyler, listen, expectations were high going into this report with the stock up about 10% year to date. Blowout comp sales for the fourth quarter up 15.6%. That's nearly double the analyst estimate. However, its 2023 comp sales forecast came in below Wall Street targets. That's why the stock is down. Still, back to the quarter, we saw skincare outperform, specifically serums and acne treatments. Uh, Ariana Grande's latest perfume, allowing fragrance to see double-digit growth. Within makeup, Rihanna's Fenty Beauty was cited as a driver. Now, on the earnings call, CEO Dave Kimball talked about the resiliency of beauty and how it's growing market share using TV ads and social engagements with plans to open 25 to 30 stores this year while also expanding its partnership partnership with Target. Kimball says luxury beauty, that is an emerging opportunity for Ulta. And to address the ongoing inflationary pressures, he says they're looking to add new brands to all price categories. Tyler? All right, Seema, thanks very much. Julie, let's trade Ulta here. This has been a stock, to my sort of casual observation, that everybody seems to love. 
Yeah, I mean, it's in a category that is probably one of the best categories in retail, right? Beauty is a pretty important category in the sense that it does well in good times and it actually does pretty well in bad times too. Women love to spoil themselves. My question sometimes is, what does this thing do when TikTok goes away? Because that's obviously where Guy and I learn all our makeup tricks. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, you know, look, overall, I think what's impressive about this release is the level of margins, really, really solid margins, even in a rising cost environment, even with spending to, you know, boost their labor force, uh, pay people better, you know, invest. And they're really holding quite good profitability. So I think retail is generally a space I don't love, but I think of the category, this is the best house in a pretty mediocre neighborhood. Guy, you want to share any makeup tips that you've learned? Or, and, and, or thought? and do you like to pamper yourself, Guy? Apparently you do. Well, well I mean, you know, Tim, Tim is deflecting a bit here. Tyler, you don't need to go into their establishments being the handsome man you are. But Julie and I have actually, had, we've had conversations about the, the importance of blending and some of the different compacts that I use. I mean, it's very, very detailed important. stuff. Yeah. You're say, beautifully blended. I'll say this real quick. I mean, this stock is a monster, and the sell-off to me is probably just sort of people taking profits. But if you look at their guidance for 24, look at their margins, look at their comps. I mean, I don't think you run very far from this stock. Yeah. Yeah, the guy is blended, right? He's, I mean, blended, he's blended better than a Johnny and Walker. And when Seema used the term resilience and beauty, it brings it right back to you being here today, and here Tyler. I am. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. All right, we got a lot more to come uh, on fast. Here's what's coming up next: the ABCs of GE's threes. More details from GE's three company spinoff as Investor Day wraps up. The guidance that had shares hitting five-year highs, plus a war on wealth. President Biden's new budget plan and the capital gain changes that should be on your radar. The details next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right, welcome back to uh, Fast Money. Topping the tape, GE shares today doing just that, hitting their highest level in five years after the company reaffirmed its 2023 guidance ahead of today's investor meeting. Oppenheimer and Bank of America both upping their price targets on the stock this week. It is now up more than 40% this year. You haven't been able to say that in a long time, Jeff. Yeah, and the stock is up a lot, and that's, that's really my only problem with it. It's, it's sort of a technical analysis here, but the price has doubled. The P.E.'s gone from 15 to 42. Right now, it's almost 50% above its 200-day moving average. I would be watching that $90 level really closely to see if it can hold above that. But like I said, you know, in terms of the actual company, there's plenty to be optimistic about. You know, Revenues are showing some solid momentum. I think the sale of some of those non-core assets is ultimately a good thing for the company long term. I just think a lot of that right now is reflected in the price, and I don't know that you Need to chase it here i think you can probably buy it lower all right uh, let's bring in mike co with uh, some options action in uh, uh, in ge mike welcome uh are you feeling bullish or traders feeling bullish about this 
they are, but I think they're kind of in line with what Jeff was say saying just now. So we saw five times the average daily options volume in GE today. And of course, based on the move that we saw, a lot of that was activity expiring tomorrow, short dated calls. But the activity that I was looking at that was a little more interesting was the April 100 calls. We saw over 3,200 of those trade for about a dollar forty contract on average. And that included some institutional prints that took place earlier in the morning. And I think what's going on here is that, you know, for those who are inclined to press a bullish bet after the big move we've seen, uh, risking about one and a half percent of the stock price is the way they're inclined to do it, making bets that the stock rally could continue through the next six weeks. All right, Mike, thank you very much. And be sure to uh, check in to Options oh, Action uh, tomorrow night. Every right? Friday. Every yeah. Friday night. It's 5.30. Here. It's, it's awesome. 5.30. You could be here you for all you know. You have a little fast money, then you get a little <laughs> Options Action, a little two for one. That's what you do on Friday. It's extra. Buy one, get one. Uh, a market flash now on Silicon Valley Bank. More startup incubators issuing a warning to its portfolio companies. The stock adding to losses in the after hours. And Seema Modi has details. Seema. Tyler, the story continues with shares of Silicon Valley Bank uh, extending their sell-off here in after hours. As you just said, their CEO reportedly telling venture capital clients to, quote, stay calm. Separately, Bloomberg now reporting that Peter Thiel's Founders Fund and the Y Combinator are advising their companies to withdraw money from SVP. You can see shares falling an additional 20% in after hours as more investors uh, hit the sell button here, Tyler. Whenever a bank CEO t thank stay you, calm. says stay calm, uh, it has the opposite effect on me. Well, it, it does. And, and, and again, you have a combination. Gerard talked about the funding dynamic here is, is why they can't wait through this. And again, this, this was a, a levered REIT. Uh, on some level. And, and this is what happens when the tide goes out. Uh, crypto and obviously VC backed stuff. They, they were involved in half the deals that came in 22. This, this bank, um, that's the story here. Risk management, I think, was terrible. Jeff, a thought here? Yeah, this is 100% about the deposit base. And I think whether you're looking at this bank or any other bank, we really need to pay attention to those loan to deposit ratios. So you go to a JP Morgan, I think it's 49%. You know, it's been far higher than that in the past. And I think it's generally healthy across the board there. But pay attention to those loan to deposit ratios. If you hold banks in your portfolio where those ratios look a little bit stressed, I'd be careful here. Uh, Guy? So... Yeah, real quick, Tyler, you know, Elizabeth Young, you might know her as Liz Young from SoFi tweeted, the only financial hire today was Moody's that comes out MCO. And we obviously understand what they did. So just anecdotally and General Atlantic announced that they did a $500 million private placement. They bought $500 million worth of Silicon Valley stock in a private placement. I think, I think, I don't know, so please don't at me, but I think it was supposedly priced maybe at today's close, but now you look at the stock in the after hours. So that will be something worth watching as well. All right, Guy, thank you. Coming up, folks, Biden's budget bump, the tax rate proposals that could seriously impact your money. That is next. And Bob Iger taking center stage at Morgan Stanley's media conference today. What he had to say about streaming, cost cutting, and the future of television. So stay in front of yours, because we will be back in two minutes.
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the markets today, if we must. And there were losses. They accelerated into the close. The S&P down 1.8%. The Nasdaq dropping more than 2%. And the Dow plummeting 550 points or thereabouts uh, and uh, losing about 1.6%. Closing below its 200-day moving average for the first time since November. There you see it. And shares of GM dropping uh, nearly 5% after that company said it will offer buyouts to the majority of its salaried workers. The move part of a plan to cut $2 billion in costs over the next two years. All of today's action ahead of tomorrow's big jobs report. Julia, jump in and, and take whatever we just talked about there, uh, whatever way you want to go with it. What are you thinking? <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think what's interesting, right, is we're thinking about the employment report that's happening tomorrow. And we kind of talk about all jobs as being the same. But really, I think what we're going to see in the coming, I don't know, six, seven months is salaried employees where so much employment has been so strong for so long will kind of continue to taper off. People have gotten too bloated and payrolls have gotten too bloated. But if you think about hourly workers, frontline workers, those jobs cannot find enough people to be filled, certainly not with our restrictive immigration policy or anything else. So I think it's going to be kind of an interesting situation where your white collar workers are going to be facing more pressure and those on the front lines will be facing less. That has important implications for both the, you know, the, the stock market in terms of what you want to be invested in and also just the economy writ large. What are those implications? And give me a, give me a specific there. Uh, what, what would be something that you would do or not do as a result of what you just said? Well, I think if you're thinking about, like, let's say, let's talk about retail, since I hate talking about retail. I would want more <laughs> exposure, right, on the very high end and the very low end. I think the mid-market gap consumer is in a lot of trouble. Think of all these, you know, businesses that have hired 17 social media managers, right? They're going to go down to two. And so those, you know, 15 people are going to be out of a job, and that's going to be consistent across. And so I worry a lot about that, that middle-income white-collar consumer. All right. Very interesting. Julie, thank you. Uh, President Biden officially releasing his budget today. And one of the ways he plans to raise revenue uh, and uh, lower the deficit is to go after investors. The Biden budget will hike capital gains tax rates or proposes to hike them big time for Americans with over a million dollars a year in income. CNBC Wealth Editor Robert Frank here to take us inside the numbers. And some of these numbers are really, Robert, breathtaking. They are, Tyler, and you said it before, big time. And the big headline for investors here is that plan to raise the capital gains rate to almost 45%. So there are two parts to this. First, he proposes raising the tax on long-term gains from 20%, that's the current rate, to 39.6%. That would tax investment gains the same as salary or wage income. Now, that would, this would apply to those with income over a million dollars, including any realized gains. So if you sold a business or stock for more than a million dollars in any given year, you would pay 39.6% on that gain over a million dollars. He also wants to increase the net investment income tax to 5%. So you add that together with a 39.6 and you get a long-term cap gains rate of 44.6%. If you lived in California and you sold your tech stock, you would pay a combined state and federal of 57.9% on the sale. If you were unlucky or lucky enough to live in New York City and you sold your seven-figure apartment, you would face a combined city, state, and federal tax of 59.4%. 
Now, Biden also brought back his billionaire minimum tax. This is a tax on a uh, higher rate. Taxpayers with a net worth of $100 million or more would pay a minimum tax rate of 25% on all unrealized gains, Tyler. So that's any increase in the value of the stock or business, even if you didn't sell and realize any couple gains. of so quick lots questions of implications here for investors. I, I, I can hear Florida calling. I mean, but 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 let's let's talk about that last thing, which is a wealth tax, right? That is not an income tax. That is a 25 percent. What of unrealized wealth gain? It would tax you every year. Tyler, and that's exactly the right word. It is a wealth tax. So the administration says, no, this is an additional tax on income, but they are now classifying unrealized gains, which you and I would consider wealth because you haven't sold, as income. And this is a one type of wealth tax. So they're going after wealth, both sold and mm -hmm. unsold. And let's go back to that, that high, high marginal rate on capital gains. It would apply only to people with incomes uh, over a million dollars, and it would apply only to uh, those, those uh, long-term assets that you sold that, that were more than a million dollars. So the, so the person who earns 400000 200000 who sells some mutual fund shares, their capital gains rate stays 20%? That's right. Uh, under this plan, if, if you have under a million dollars in income with your both income and, and gains combined, you wouldn't mm -hmm. be subject to this tax. I haven't figured out whether it's truly a marginal tax. So it's is it every dollar above a million or is it truly 20, is it thirty nine point six plus five on everything? So we'll have to get the details of that. But this would this would be revolutionary because it would tax investment gains the same as wage or salary income. All right, Robert, thank you so much for that. I, 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 I can sense that we'll have some reaction here on the desk. Oh, today. boy. Tim. Well, I mean, I was also that place that had the higher, the 59 point something percent. But, but uh, taxing unrealized wealth is, is something that to me is so ludicrous, especially when you think of the volatility we've had in housing prices. And how, how are they going to measure that, first of all? How are they going to measure that? How are you going to measure that? This is dead on arrival. Um, this is the kind of thing that comes on a bad day in the market that doesn't help. Um, but I, I don't think this had anything to do with the market's move today. All right. Anybody else want to jump in here? I mean, I, I, I sort of agree with hey, Tim on hey, that. Hey, Tyler. Yeah, man. Are you a fan of the Beatles? I know Tim is. There was a great a album, the Revolver the album. Revolver. Yeah, you recall on that album, oh, Revolver was great, song. Great album. Taxman. One for you, 19 for me. And that song didn't go over too well. Neither will this tax plan, brother. This is, as Tim said, it ain't going to fly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether there's a trade here because there is no one that I've heard of today who says this is really anything more than a kind of uh, template. Posturing. Or a, a posturing, a template, a blueprint for the 2024 campaign. I, that, that, that he's put a target on the backs of the wealthy and investors. But whatever. Uh, let's move on. For more on the president's budget plan and the rough day for banking, uh, tune in to Last Call uh, in about an hour's time. Brian Sullivan. Brian will be joined by the former Trump chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, plus tech investor Kathy Wood at 7 p.m. tonight right here on CNBC. Meantime, coming up, Morgan Stanley's meeting of the media minds is underway. Disney's Bob Iger was all bulled up on streaming today. We will bring you his comments next. The Ageless One.
All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Morgan Stanley's tech, media, and telecom conference continued today, and Disney CEO Bob Iger had a lot to say about the future of the media giant. Julia Borston has the details. Hi, Julia. Well, Tyler, Bob Iger laid out his priorities for Disney's next two years. Now, across the conversation, he stressed a focus on profitability, both looking for opportunities to cut costs and be disciplined with spending, while also evaluating opportunities to raise prices, particularly around the company's streaming business, saying, quote, we have a lot of rationalization to do from a pricing perspective. That's one path to profitability. Another is we do have to grow subscribers. A third is basically coming to grips with rising costs of production and just figuring out how much volume we need for that platform, that platform being, of course, streaming. He also said there's opportunity to license more content externally. And he also noted that he's bullish on Disney+. Plus but negative on linear TV. The jury is still out on Hulu. He said the new platform hasn't had the growth they need in order to be profitable. Now, as for the parks business, Iger was bullish there and said it is somewhat recession resistant, but he did note that they need to be cautious not to overcharge for the parks. They want to make sure that going to the parks remains accessible. Tyler? Julia, quick question. When he says linear TV, is he talking about ABC or is he talking about ABC and ESPN, etc.? I think he's talking about all the above. The old-fashioned TV bundle, he understands that it is in decline, and he's talked about the shift over to streaming. But of course, in the meantime, they have to maintain that linear TV business while building up their streaming audiences and making sure that the revenue they generate and the profits they generate from, from streaming can supplement or replace what's being lost from linear TV. But the other thing to keep in mind here, Tyler, is that the advertising business overall, there are a lot of questions about uh, whether or not it's going to feel a contraction this year, considering all the uncertainty around the economy. All right, Julia, thank you very much. Julia Borston. Julia, well, let's, let's, let's turn to you for a thought uh, on, uh, on Disney. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's interesting hearing him talk about, you know, we're going to try to harmonize our costs relative to what we expect to generate in revenue. And it's kind of shocking, right? Because you think that's basically how all the streaming companies have been working, right? If we build it, they will come. And there's no side of connection to the ability to generate revenue against that. It would be like building an entire neighborhood and having zero idea how you could price it. So I think there needs to be more rational behavior in streaming. We won't benefit as consumers, but I think it's an important first step, at least, to understand profitability of this business. All right. Very interesting. Thank you. Straight ahead, up to the minute developments in the Silicon Valley bank withdrawals and stock slide shares down now nearly 20 percent more fast money right after this. All right, let's take another look at shares of Silicon Valley after hours. We have new reporting on companies pulling money out of the struggling bank. And we're joined on the phone by Hugh Son. Hugh, what can you tell us? Hey, Tyler, it's good to be with you over the phone. So uh, there have been headlines that the D.C. community has broadly encouraged their portfolio companies to pull out their money, to the exception of 250 k which would still be insured. I wanted to find out the reality of that. The first thing I did was talk to a startup founder who's been a good source of mine uh, over the last few years. And, you know, he basically said he woke up this morning to calls, texts, uh, and messages over various apps like Signal and Telegram, basically saying that people were concerned about uh, the stability of 
Silicon Valley Bank. Um, over the course of the day, um, he pulled out half of his deposits, which were in the tens of millions of dollars, and left the other half. Uh, and it's basically, you know, going to watch the stock and the communication um, from Silicon Valley Bank uh, uh, over the course of the next few days and see whether he's going to pull out the rest of it. At the end of our call, he, he noticed that the stock had been down another 20%, and said that uh, you may have to go and pull more money out. Um, the other aspect of that is, my question was, how hard is it to actually get your money out? Is it difficult? Um, it's essentially five clicks on their, on their Internet portal, which makes it very easy to do. Uh, and, and so it didn't take very long for him to do it. Um, you know, other CEOs have told them that you know, the, the Silicon Valley website portal was a little slow, perhaps because there are a lot of people logging on right now. Um, but in general... Uh, it is not hard to remove your deposits from Silicon Valley Bank, and that is part of the problem. And can you do it right now after banking hours, get my money out, and it's going to be safely sluiced over to whatever other bank I want it to go to? Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think there's an issue with after hours, yep. depending on the time of the day. I, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, the issue is, you know, we're going to see the news flow from the next few days. But um, this is the type of thing that tends to feed on itself. And that is certainly the, the is. concern. Yeah. Certainly is. I mean, this is be this will certainly be one uh, that we will be watching overnight and into tomorrow uh, to see how the situation evolves and develops. Hugh Sun, thank you very much, our banking reporter. We appreciate that. All right, we're going to take just a quick break here, and up next we will be back with your final trades. Time now for our final trades. Let's go around the horn, beginning with you, Guy. You're a stud. I just want you to know that. Oh, if gold's going to work, and now's the time. GDX, Tyler. All right, GDX. Let's go to, uh, let's see, who's next? Uh, Jeff, go ahead. You know, Tyler, I've been plugging my fame acronym trade like there's some sort of cash prize at the end. I assure you there is not, but nevertheless, Meta, I still think it's a good value here. Meta, Meta, Meta. Uh, let's go to Julie next. You know, I, with rising rates, I, I don't like banks, but something like a health equity gives you a little health care exposure and rate exposure. All right, there you go, Tim. We Tyler, got, we got 20 this seconds. Is lovely, man. you and me. Um, Oracle, the lonely guys. I, well, I, I, I don't know what I did to deserve you alone today, but Oracle, you deserve that, folks. Check it out. All right, that sounds good. Thanks for joining us tonight on Mad Money. Thank you all for having me uh, here in for Melissa Lee tonight. You know what happens next? Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.